You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Everybody, and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, Randy. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Isaiah chapter 9. And if you are a guest today, uh, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. My name is Jared. I do not normally wear a tie, but today's a special occasion. And so I broke this one out from 2004 just for you guys today. Um, if you want to know more about us, thank you, Adam. If you want to know more about us as a church, uh, you can go to our website, crossingparagold.com. Um, we also are going to drop a connect link right now. I'm guessing. I have no idea, but I think we are. There should be a comment link or a connect link in the comment section. Uh, click on that, fill out some information about you and your family, or if you're here, there's a connect card in the back of the seat in front of you. Grab that. Uh, fill out the information, leave it here, and that is just a way of us knowing that you're with us and knowing how that we can serve you to the best of our ability. And so again, welcome and Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, 2020, y'all. What a year. Um, a year that I know that many of us would like to forget, but as January 1 quickly approaches, I think it's important that we actually reflect on all that we have walked through endured and honestly survived. Um, I recently spent some time with a group of 20 pastors uh, who came in from all over the country to Smithville, Tennessee. One of them was actually my heroes of the faith, John Tyson. And while we were together, um, John actually encouraged us not as pastors or as disciples of Jesus just to rush into 2021 without thinking about what we've experienced in 2020. And as difficult as it was for me to make myself do this, as I took time to reflect on this past year, I couldn't help but think about how much COVID-19 has impacted every single family, um, government, system, and structure in ways that honestly I think are beyond our comprehension. In fact, I was reading in an article in Forbes magazine just this past week, and psychologist George Everly, who teaches on mental health and resilience at John Hopkins, said, and I quote, the coronavirus pandemic will be the most psychologically toxic disaster in anyone's lifetime. It's a pretty bold statement. And whether you agree with it or not, one thing I believe we'll all agree on is the fact that 2020 is a year where we've seen an incredible amount of death. Just this past week, I attended a funeral for a 60-year-old man, a man who represents the over 300,000 plus people in the United States and the 1.6 million worldwide who have died because of COVID-19. And if that's not hard enough, not only this year we've seen an incredible amount of death, but we've also experienced social unrest, a record number of fires, political polarization, economic instability, war, and murder hornets. So to put it lightly, uh, this has been a year of great disruption. Um, this has been a year that therefore has left many of us feeling weary, like we are out of breath, not just physically, but also emotionally. And if that is where you are, I am so glad that you showed up today. 
I'm so glad that you tuned in online because what we are going to discover from our text today is despite what you've been told, Christmas is not just for the kids. It's not just for getting out of school and opening presents and sitting on Santa's lap if that's your thing. It's not just for the sentimental, for those who like to decorate and bake and just spend time with the family by the fire. Uh, It's not just even for those who are religious and seem to have their lives all together. But Christmas, according to what we see in the Bible, if it is for anyone at all, it is for the weary. For those who feel like they have been beat down by life. And that's actually where we find the people in Isaiah chapter 9 as we come to our text. The people of Israel, because of their own disobedience and distrust in God, have experienced a massive loss. Like an unstoppable plague, the Assyrian army has invaded their land. And as a result, in Isaiah 8, verse 22, the verse right before Isaiah 9, the prophet says that the people of Israel at this point in their history could see only distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. And so these are a people who know suffering. These are a people who know death. They know sadness. They know loss. They know fear. They are a people who are living with the shadow of darkness stretching over their lives. And for some of you this morning, you're like, I can relate to that. For some of you, as we come to the end of 2020, like Israel, you find yourself with this cloud of depression or anxiety that won't lift. Some of you this year have lost loved ones. This will be your first Christmas without someone who's very close to you. Others have lost a job. Some of you are experiencing financial uncertainty. You don't know how you're going to pay for Christmas presents, much less the year ahead. And if that's not bad enough, to make matters worse, we all feel this cultural pressure during the Christmas season to have our life at its Instagrammable best. The home has to look impressive. The food has to taste delicious. The kids have to be happy. And somewhere along the way, we've all got to get our kids and families in matching pajamas and get a picture that says to the world, we're fine. (laughs) We're really okay, even though we're not. And therefore, though this is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, for many of you, it's the hardest time of the year. It only enhances this level of sadness and anxiety and depression that you're already experiencing. I just want you to know today, it's in the middle of all of that pain, it's in the middle of that fear, it's in the middle of that uncertainty, it's in the middle of that, that weariness, and God, where are you that we receive the great promise of Christmas? And so, with that in mind, look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, he's talking about God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. I just want to stop right there and ask you, how many of you in here have been to Zebulun? Anybody here been to Naphtali? Right? Okay, none of us, so let me just explain something very carefully. Zebulun and Naphtali and the Galilee of the nations are in the northernmost province of Israel. And the reason that matters is because if you were an enemy to Israel and you were going to attack them, you would come in from the north. Which means that Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee were always the places that would be hit first. 
And so these people in verse 1 are the people who would die first. They are the people who would have their land taken first. They were the ones who would experience a great disruption first. And what's so amazing to me about this passage in verse 1 is Isaiah tells us that the places that have been hit the hardest, the places that are most vulnerable are actually the places that God wants to visit first. It tells us that these are the places God cares about. This is the place that he wants to extend his grace and mercy to before he goes anywhere else. And that is exactly what we see happen whenever Jesus steps on the scene. Because where does Jesus begin his ministry? Does anybody remember? He begins it in Nazareth. This small, little, seemingly insignificant, podunk town in Galilee. And that is meant to be a reminder to you and me today that if you feel insignificant, if you feel overlooked, if you have been beat up by life, and you feel like maybe you're even the least deserving of God's grace, you're actually in a really good position this morning. Because what we learn right here in verse 1 is the reality is God loves to visit unlikely places for the purpose of ministering to and loving on the most unlikely of people. Which is exactly what Isaiah goes on to say in verse 2, the people that he's talking about God coming to, he says in verse 2, are a people who are walking in darkness. So these aren't just a sad people, they are a sinful people. They're a disobedient people. They're an unimpressive people. These are not the people that we look at in a church gathering like this and say, wow, those people, they're so godly. They're the opposite of that. And yet, despite the fact these people have sinned against God over and over and over, rather than God leaving them in despair, he says, I'm going to shine my light into your darkness. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to increase your joy. God says, there's coming a day, verse 3, where the winter season of death that you've been experiencing is going to pass, and like a harvest that springs forth from the ground, you are going to experience a new and abundant life in me. That's the promise. There are some of you this morning, you've been walking in darkness. And I just want you to know you are not beyond the reach of God. You're not. In fact, the places that you are sure God must hate you, He actually loves you. He's not forgotten you. He's not overlooked you. He sees you. He loves you. And He's committed not only to redeeming your soul, but one day restoring everything that you have lost. And how is God going to do this? Well, Isaiah goes on to show us that God not only loves to visit unlikely places so he can minister to unlikely people, but he does this by executing a very unlikely plan. Look with me in verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Now, what in the world is Isaiah getting at here? Well, this is an obscure biblical reference to a story in the book of Judges where the Israelites defeated the Midianites, a group of people who had been oppressing them for years. And if you remember from the story, who is the man that God raised up to lead the, the army of Israel against the Midianites? Anybody remember who led that army? It's your boy Gideon. And Gideon was a coward. Gideon was such a timid and fearful man that he would only obey God at night so that his family didn't know. And yet, 
God sends an angel to Gideon and says, Almighty warrior. Gideon's like, who are you talking to? The angel's like, I'm talking to you. God literally instills in him a new identity, then gives him an army of 32,000 people. They march up to the Midianites, and God says, time out. Before you go and you fight this, this army of the Midianites that have, by the way, 100,000 people, I know that you are way outnumbered, but here's what I'm going to do, Gideon, so that nobody gives you credit for the victory that's about to happen. So no one says, oh, it's because of your strategy and your strength. I'm going to whittle your army from 32,000 down to 300 people people. And if you remember the story, here we are, Gideon with his 300, they grab these lamps, bust them on the ground, and they're like, for God and Gideon! And they go and they lay to waste the Midianites. And then the whole point of, of Isaiah bringing this up is here's what he's saying, you got to get this. God's way of doing things is very different than your way of doing things. God's plans are unorthodox. God's plans are unexpected. They are unlikely. And nowhere in all of Scripture do we see this more on display than with the Christmas story. Because if you keep reading, according to Isaiah in verse 6, how is God going to bring about your victory? How is God possibly going to turn our gloom into gladness for all eternity? How is he going to destroy our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death and hell? And here's the answer, verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. We read that and we're like, ah, yeah, 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 Christmas story. I get it. It's about Jesus' birth. But don't rush past this. Do you have any idea how crazy this would have sounded to these people? You mean to tell me that rescue is coming through a baby? Yeah. This is God's strategy. For giving us a hope and a joy and a peace that cannot be shaken through a child that is born into this world for the very purpose of accomplishing for you and accomplishing for me, but we could never accomplish for ourselves. And this is actually where we get into the heart of this passage and the Christmas message, which is about the reality that God not only likes to visit an unlikely place through an unlikely people and then minister to them through an unlikely plan, but ultimately he does it through a very unlikely person. Through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And according to Isaiah, he gives Jesus four names, four titles right here in verse 6 that shows us why Jesus really is the one who alone can give you the rest for your weary soul. And if you look with me in verse 6, the very first name that he gives for Jesus is this name of Wonderful Counselor. As we come to the end of 2020, you have questions about your life, don't you? Who am I? What is my purpose? Where am I going? What in the world should I do? You have questions from everything, from, va- uh, from vaccinations to your vocation. You have questions about your health. You have questions about your relationships. You have questions about your family. You have questions about politics. And as a result, you would love for someone to be able to sort all of that out for you and point you in the right direction. And one of the most incredible and miraculous things about Jesus is he really can be that for every single one of you in this room and watching online. Because Jesus has all wisdom, because he is all-knowing more than anyone else, he can make sense of your life. He is a wonderful counselor, and he is a wonderful counselor, listen, not only because he knows the path that you should take, but because he's taken that path before you. Do you realize everything that you are experiencing right now, Jesus has experienced it before you ever experienced it. 
He has been in your shoes. And therefore, with complete honesty, he can say to you today, I completely understand what you're going through. If you've lost a loved one, you're like, man, nobody has a clue what I'm experiencing these holidays. Jesus says, I understand. If you've been despised and rejected, if you've been humiliated or overlooked, abused or abandoned, Jesus says, I get it. I get it. If you've experienced hardship and heartache, or maybe right now you're facing a temptation that you feel like is going to overtake you, Jesus says, I've been there. And so if you find yourself this morning anxious and depressed and overwhelmed by life, Isaiah says, you need to know that Jesus Christ is your wonderful counselor. He is one who not only knows the path you should take, but he's taken the path before you. But then secondly, Isaiah says, not only is Jesus your wonderful counselor who understands, he's also the mighty God who empowers. So Jesus is more than just a good teacher. Jesus, according to the scriptures, is God in the flesh. He is divine. He is the one through whom the whole world is created and now held together. Which means, please hear me, Jesus not only has a perfect plan, but he has an unstoppable power. And that is really good news. Because in 2020, I don't know about you, but I was reminded just how not in control I am. I made plans that did not come to fruition. And I'm guessing the same is true for you. And the good news is about Jesus, if he makes plans, he fulfills them. Even when it looks like everything is spinning out of control, the Bible is clear that God is working together all things, even something like the coronavirus. He works out all things for our good, for those of us who continue to trust him. I think back to that line in verse 6, where it says, the weight of the government is on his shoulders. Guys, do you realize what that means? Your hope is... And your security and your existence and your happiness does not rest on you. It doesn't rest on the President of the United States. It doesn't rest on a vaccine or a doctor or your spouse or your kids. But rather, all that you are and all that you need, your future hope and happiness rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And he can carry whatever you put on him. It's so important that you get this today. Some of you, you're so weary and you're so anxious and it's because you were trying to have someone else or something else carry the weight that only Jesus can carry. This is why the prophet Isaiah would go on in verse 40, verse 31 and say, Trust in the Lord and he will renew your strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Jesus would say something similar in Matthew 11 to a people who were overwhelmed and exhausted. He said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there anything else you can think of that we need more as we come to the end of this year? Rest. Peace. To be able to catch our breath, not just physically, but emotionally. And according to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus will do that for you. He is your wonderful counselor. He is your mighty God. He says, third, verse six, he is also your everlasting father. When Jesus came into this world, he came to rule. And he didn't come to rule as an evil tyrant. He came to rule as a loving father, a father who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He came to be the father that we all long for. He came through his life, death, and resurrection to help us go from being alienated and alone to being dearly beloved children of God. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of this every single day. 
Because if I can just be honest with you, there are times in my life, even had it this past week, where because of my own sinfulness and my own brokenness, because I know how selfish I can be and judgmental I can be and how I can be quicker to take and give and still struggle with lust, there's times in my own life where I look and I ask, is it possible that I have exhausted the, comp- the, the compassion and the patience of God? And according to this passage, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus Christ is an everlasting Father, which means His compassion will never end. He will care for you, and He will love you, and He will have your best interests in mind forever. No matter what you have done, He will never kick you out of His house. Like, that's what it means that He is your everlasting Father. And if you're like, Jared, how can I be sure of this? How can I know that he'll never stop loving me? How can I know that he actually still wants me to be in the family? Because according to the text, not only is Jesus your wonderful counselor, not only is he your mighty God and your everlasting father, but verse 6, we also see finally he is the prince of peace. You know, one of the things that we all have in common this morning is we're all sinners. I might be the biggest sinner in the room, but we're all sinners. And the Bible is clear that our sin, the wages of our sin, is death. Romans 3.23. And the word for death there literally means to be detached from. The reason sin is a far bigger problem than COVID-19 is because COVID-19 can only kill your body. Sin can destroy your soul. It'll literally separate you from the God who alone can give you the life that you're longing for. And that's really bad news because we all have it in us. We've all been infected. We're all positive. But here's the good news. No matter how big your sin is, God's grace is bigger. And therefore, if you want peace, and if you want rest, and if you want joy, and if you want life, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to straighten yourself up. Jesus Christ will be everything for you. You need Him to be. Go to Him as you are and trust that He has accomplished through His life, death, and resurrection everything that you could never accomplish for yourself. That is the good news of the Christmas story. It is that the salvation, the satisfaction, the forgiveness, and the freedom that we long for, listen to me guys, is not found in your performance, but in God's own passion. And that's the way Isaiah ends in our little text here. If you look at the very end of verse 7, whenever he says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In other words, God's the one that's going to make this happen. God is the one who makes this possible. He is the one who unleashes his mighty power and authority and resources as a guarantee that all that has been promised in the birth of Jesus can be delivered to you now. It can be. So here's my question. I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Have you received this gift? I did not ask you, have you prayed a prayer? I have not asked you if you've been baptized. Have you recognized and received Jesus for who he really is? For many, 2020 has been hard. It is left shrapnel in your soul. And you don't even know if you have what it takes to go on. And if that is where you are, I just want to encourage you 
to cling to the promises of God. To lift your eyes off of yourself and your circumstances and on to Jesus, the one who alone can and will give you rest for your weary soul. The reality is, guys, please hear me. I'm almost done. Please hear me. We're not flipping a switch on January 1st and all of our problems are going to go away. That ain't happening. Life's hard now. Even without coronavirus, life's going to be hard next year. And the year after that. And the year after that. And you're going to experience loss and you're going to experience death and you're going to continue to feel like at times you've been body slammed by life from out of nowhere. And that is why more than you need anything else, you need a relationship with the real resurrected Jesus who conquered death. Because he is your wonderful counselor, you can talk to him and he'll listen. Because he is the mighty God, you can surrender your entire life to him. You can give up control. Because he is your everlasting father, you can rest in his love. And because he is the prince of peace, you can right now confess your biggest and best sins to him and know that he'll forgive them all. To end this morning, I want to read one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's Joshua chapter 5. I just want to read this to you because it's been on my heart this past week. I don't even know if it's necessarily a Christmas text, but we're going to make it one, so... And here's how we're going to end. Joshua chapter 5. Let me just read this over you. Um, by the way, to set the context for you, uh, Moses is dead. And um, Joshua has now been tasked to lead the people of Israel against an army that, humanly speaking, is impossible for them to defeat. So God has given them a land. He's promised them a land of prosperity and peace. It's a land they all long for. But here's Joshua the night before. And I would imagine, he's looking out of this land they're about to try to take against this army. And I would imagine he's thinking about what happened 40 years earlier where he was sent out with some other spies to see if they could take the land. But they all came back and were like, eh, actually the people there are really big and really strong. I know God promised us we could have it, but we don't need to go there because if we do, we'll all die. But now Joshua believes, like, we, we can do this. But I'm sure he's hearing from other people, we can't do this, Joshua, we can't do this, Joshua. The people are too big. Uh, the army's too strong. Don't do it. And as he's sitting there, here's what happens. Verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. So just picture that. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Are you for us or against us? Joshua, he's just courageous, man. Love it. Are you for us or are you for against us, baby? Like, what are you going to do? Time to draw a line in the sand. Verse 14, the man replied, no. In other words, wrong question, Joshua. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, I am the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And now I've come. And then Joshua fell down face to the ground in reverence, and he asked, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the, the, army of, the, commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You, uh, after a year like 2020, I would imagine, if some of you can be honest, you're asking this question, is Jesus really on my side? Because it sure don't seem like it. Jesus, are you on my side or are you against me? 
feels like you're against me. Are you for me or are you against me? Which one is it, Jesus? And he says, that's the wrong question. The question I want you to ask is not, am I for or against you, but are you for or against me? And if you are for Jesus, like Joshua, you know what we'll do? Even when we don't understand how it's going to happen, we'll lay all of our life down at his feet. And if we will do that, if we will just, I'm not talking about praying a prayer, guys. I'm not talking about this whole myth in our culture that says you can have Jesus as Savior and not have him as Lord. That's not true. Jesus will not come into your life at all if you will not let him come in as the commander. He wants to come in as your Lord. He wants it all. And you know what will happen? Here's the promise, and we see it happen with Joshua. If you will lay your life down at Jesus' feet, you know what he'll do? He'll fight your battle. I don't know what battle you are facing. He'll fight it. And the victory will be sure. And if you ever doubt that, that's why we take communion every single week. Because when we take communion, here's what I want you to be reminded of this week. When you take out that little piece of styrofoam, that's, or bread, I mean, remember this. That represents the perfect, sinless life of Jesus that was lived on your behalf. Which is a reminder, you don't have to be perfect in order to go to heaven. You don't have to be perfect in order to enter into a relationship with God. You don't have to have all your questions answered. And then as you drink the juice, Jesus says, that's a reminder of his blood shed for you. And listen, as you drink that juice, here's what I want you to remember. How can you know that God is actually for you after you're like 2020? Because here's what should have happened. We should have went to the cross for our sins. And rather than us going to the cross and dying for our sins and suffering for all eternity for our sin against a holy and righteous God who puts the breath in our lungs, Jesus went to the cross and he fell on his own sword. He didn't turn it against us. He died the death that you and I deserve to die so that we could experience the life that only he deserves to live. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, take of communion and be reminded of that reality. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you just realized it, Rather than receiving the communion, receive Jesus. Receive the gift. It's a free gift. All you have to do, guys, listen to me. I'll lead you in a prayer right now. I'll make this super simple for you. If you truly want to pass from death to life, if you want an unshakable hope and joy, no matter what happens around us in 2021, you just have to go to Jesus with the empty hands of faith today. And and I just want to lead you in a prayer. We'll do this right now and, and... And band, you can go ahead and come on up. But I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want to lead those at home in a prayer. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, here's what I want you to do. And all of us, let's just enter into a time of prayer right now, meditation. I want you to pray and just admit right now, God, I am a sinner. And I know that my sin separates me from you. And I recognize that I have been trusting in my goodness or I've been trusting in others in order to make myself right, in order to give me hope, in order to give me peace and give me joy. And right now I recognize that Jesus, you're the only one who can do that. Jesus, I recognize that I cannot clean myself up. There's nothing I can do to impress you. There is no magic formula prayer, but right now, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I trust that you have come and lived a perfect sinless life on my behalf and that you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood for me 
so that I could be forgiven and that I can right now have assurance that nothing, nothing will ever separate me from your love. And so right now, Jesus, I give you everything that I have.